0: Is our congregation, is London City Presbyterian Church, a failure? Is our church a failure? I know it's it's hard to determine what success is when you're talking about a church. But if we look at it not in terms of numeric growth and we don't look at it in terms of faithfulness, but if we look at it uh, purely in terms of the number of conversions we see, is it not a legitimate question to ask? Is our congregation, is LCPC a failure? Doesn't it really disturb you this morning that we see so few souls, or we have seen so few souls One for Christ in recent uh, recent years. Okay, there's been a few and we rejoice with uh, those people. But doesn't it sit rather heavily on your heart that neither you nor me have led larger numbers of people uh, to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is our congregation, is your ministry, my ministry, Is this congregation failing? Is it a failure? Well, this morning as we continue in our sermon series in Mark's Gospel, not only will we see what failure in ministry looks like, we're going to see more than that. We're going to see here in this portion of Scripture, I think by God's grace, just how failure in Christian ministry, how it can be, avoided. So this is pertinent stuff. This is relevant stuff for you and for me and for this congregation at this point in time. So you know what I'm going to ask you to do by this stage? I would ask you to turn back with me in your Bibles to have this portion of scripture actually open, have God's word open in front of you at Mark chapter 9 on page 1012. And we'll look at and try and establish or pick out a number of things that we see in this portion of scripture. The first is just what we've talked about. So the first point, the first heading is simply failure in ministry. Failure in ministry. Okay, look, surely the first thing that grabs you about the portion of scripture that Johnny read is the contrast between what you've got in front of you just now and what we looked at last week. Now, do you see what I mean by contrast? What did we? If you were here last week, what did we look at? Last week, we considered the great transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see what I mean? We have gone from that heavenly scene to this. A scene of demonic possession. So it's almost a contrast between heaven and hell that we've got here. Do you see? Like we've gone from from that a uh, tranquil and very peaceful scene. Do you remember it with Elijah and Moses, and they're in this beautiful, peaceful conversation with Jesus. We've gone from that tranquil scene to, to this. And what, what is this? Well, the men, they return. They come down the mountainside. And what do they see? They see the remaining disciples. So the the disciples that hadn't gone with Jesus. And what are the disciples doing? Is it peaceful? Is it tranquil people? Is it? No, they are bickering. And they are arguing with this crowd. And why? Because this man has brought his ill, his sick child along to the disciples and he's asked the disciples to heal the little boy and what's happened? <laughs> it's all gone shaped, hasn't it? <laughs> like it's clearly all gone very wrong and now every single person there, everyone is at each other's throat. So you see, it's far from a peaceful scene. Now, I tell you what, we'll look at the details of that in just a moment. The first thing I would ask you to do though is to consider Our Lord's response to what he sees. You'd agree with me, wouldn't you, that many people today in society, like many of your friends and the people you work with, if they're going to think about Jesus at all, they like to think about Jesus as kind of, you know, little Jesus, meek and mild. Isn't that it? Like, people kind of like the Jesus of Christmas. Don't they're like the little baby in the manger like that sort of jesus any other ideas kind of they don't want anything to do with that at all it's got to be little jesus meek and mild here's the thing though that does it with mark chapter 9 does it so what happens here jesus comes down the mountainside he sees this fight this bickering he finds out what's going on and what does he say Christ, you unbelieving generation, like you faithless people, how long do I have to put up with you? It's not little Jesus meek and mild, is it? It's just—it's not. I mean, he's—you see it, don't you? He's frustrated at this point. He's almost angry. He's exasperated at the scene before him. Now that's interesting, isn't it? And you answer me this: Who's he speaking to? You see what I mean? Like when he says, you faithless people, you unbelieving people, who's he talking to? Like, do you, th- do you think he's talking to that man who's brought along his child? Do you think he's talking to the scribes who were gathered? Do you think he's talking to the crowd? Who do, you, who do you think he's talking to when he's saying that? Can I tell you what I think? I think, yes, all of the above. But I think, surely, the primary objects of Jesus' frustration at this point are whom? his very own disciples he's frustrated with his own disciples isn't he and and you can see why can you not because at this point they have utterly failed their lord isn't that what's happened to you isn't that what we're dealing with here they have failed jesus the disciples They they, they have continued his ministry in his absence. He's been up the mountainside. They've continued perhaps teaching. They've certainly continued trying to heal people. But what have they done? They've failed. They have been unable to heal this little boy. I am sure you would agree with me when I say that this is a rather odd portion of scripture that we're dealing with this morning, isn't it? Uh, it's very unusual for us to deal with a failed miracle in the Bible, isn't it? Like, what happens? Come on, what happens in scripture if Jesus or His disciples set their minds to do something? Usually what happens? That thing, whatever it is, it gets done. Doesn't it? It's very unusual to see or think about a failed ministry, a uh, failed miracle. So you see what we have to do, do you? Like, the text is prompting us to ask why? Like, why at this point here did the disciples fail? Like, why at this point were they unable to heal this little boy? You see the question? Are you not asking that question? Why did they not? Why were they not able to do this? Drive out the demon? You're not asking it? Well, let me suggest just now just a couple of answers to that question. Okay, first is this. That surely here the disciples had become Blase. Now, let me illustrate the point uh, to, to show you what I mean. Um, I've talked to you previously from the pulpit about what happened uh, immediately after I became a Christian. Uh, I became a Christian in my early twenties and immediately after that, the next night and for every single night for quite a long time after that, myself and about three other blokes of the same age, we used to get together every night, and we would read the Bible, uh, we would pray, and we would sing. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what the neighbors thought of the latter, but we would sing. You know, the four of us, we would sing uh, praise to God. So we do this every night. Every night. And I was thinking about it this week, that despite the fact that i've been in some sort of overt sort of public christian ministry for about six seven years or something like that you know those early days where as far as i know they were the most spiritually blessed because you know what happened we'd meet together and we decided to invite other people to join us people who weren't christians so a couple of days after I was saved, I invited my brother to come. He was I mean, he didn't want anything to do with the church, and I invited him to come along. What happened? He was saved. So what did we do then? Like, well, who's next, you know? So we invited my brother's best friend to come along. What happened? A couple of days later, he was saved. Then we invited another friend, and he was saved, and we played in a band, so we invited the guitarist, and he was saved, and we invited the roadie of the band to come along, and he was saved. All of these young men, all of them coming along and coming to know the lord jesus christ and what happened then it all came apart see because at that point what we began to think was not only well this is easy you know this is very easy this evangelism malarkey this is straightforward we thought that but we also began to think that it was because of us do you see it you know, we had all of the success and we began to think, well, it must be because of the way that we are going about this. It must be because of the methods that we are using here. And it all fell apart. Like it all came apart. Now, isn't that at least in part what we're seeing in Mark's gospel? Did you see what I mean? Like what were we told previously in this gospel? We were told that Jesus had sent disciples. And what did Mark 6 tell us? Do you remember? that the disciples when they were sent out they had great success like they did absolutely they, we were actually specifically told that the disciples had driven out many 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 demons in the past so do you see what's happening here this man comes along with his boy, what do the disciples think we can do this we've got that like, bring the boy here, no worries look we've done this a hundred times before We've got this. Bring him here. Do you see it? They've become blasé here. They are relying upon themselves. But I said to you, um, I said to you two answers. And indeed, I'm guessing if you followed Johnny as he read scripture, if you fold it closely, you can see exactly why they failed. Don't you? Why could they not drive out this demon? Verse 29, why could they not do it? Because they did not pray. I I don't know about you, but I find that absolutely remarkable. i just take you a step back from that moment and think about what you're dealing with. A man takes his child who is demon-possessed to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do the disciples not do? They don't even bring the child to God in prayer. Don't you see it? Like, isn't it remarkable? But as remarkable as it is, doesn't it take us to rather an uncomfortable truth this morning? Like, what's the question we're posing and trying to answer today? Is LCPC a failure? If it's a failure. You see there why it's a failure, don't you? I mean, are we sitting in church this morning thinking, and have we been thinking for months now, why don't we see more people saved? Are you asking that question? I hope so. But, you know, you're asking the question, you know, why on a Sunday, and Sunday mornings, why do we not see more conversions? Why in people's lives are we not seeing more dramatic conversions to the Lord Jesus? Why? Are you thinking it's a mystery? It's not a mystery. If we are failing in this congregation, it is quite simply because we do not pray. And maybe you're looking at me this morning thinking, well, we do, Andy. (laughs) We get up in the morning, we pray, and we meet on a Thursday night for prayer, and we meet on a Sunday evening specifically to pray evangelistically. We do pray. But I would say back to you, do we? really. I mean, take the Sunday evening uh, prayer meeting as an example. I'll ask you, is there anyone in this room at all for whom that prayer meeting is the high point and the center point and the heartbeat of their week? And do we give great amount of thought to the names that we are going to bring on a Sunday night to the attention of the church for prayer and when we're in that prayer meeting, are we listing all the names that are mentioned, the, the lost souls, so that we can take those names into the week, into our prayer lives? Are we doing that? Are we getting up every morning? And are we actually physically on our knees and are we actually weeping for all of the people out there who are lost? Is that you? Is that me? Are we doing that? Friends, none of us Wants to be able at the end of our lives, in our old age, to look back on our lives and to see what the disciples saw in Mark chapter 9. We don't want to look back and see failure in ministry. And the great thing about grace, the great thing about how God works, is that it ain't complicated, is it? Why did the disciples fail? Because they did not pray. It's not complicated. Friends, even tonight, why don't we gather together? And we gather together to pray. Now, what does that look like? Think about Mark 9. Tonight we gather together and we plead with Almighty God to free the people in our lives who are like this child, under the control and under the dominion of darkness. We plead with God to do that. Tonight, we, this week, we, this church, we pray. Failure in ministry. Second thing that we see in this portion of Scripture, we've seen failure, second thing, is faith. Okay, faith in turmoil. Faith in turmoil. Now, I'm sure you would know all too well what a skeptic might make of Mark chapter 9. There's a skeptic of scripture in here. They're going to look at this. They're going to laugh at the very idea of demonic possession. Don't you agree with that? They're going to look at at what scripture says about this child. What were his symptoms that he has fits? Uh, There's sort of rigidity. There's foaming at the mouth. Skeptic's going to say what? It's not demon possession. That... uh, the boy's epileptic something like that okay well the child may well have been epileptic Matthew's account uses a word that's very close to our idea of epilepsy but here's the important thing with that that's not all the the boy was like each of the three gospel accounts of this miracle they go to great lengths to show you and show me that the child was possessed by an evil spirit, that perhaps the demon here is using that illness as a way of attacking, hurting this child. And, and, And if there's any compassion at all, when we think about that horrible predicament for this boy, we can maybe understand why his dad is just desperate. His dad is desperate to bring the child to Jesus, isn't he? But I'm guessing that the father in the story, that he was not expecting to be rebuked by the Lord, was he? He wasn't expecting that, but that is exactly what happens. Don't you see? He, he brings the boy to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can, will you please, please heal my boy? And, and what does Jesus do? Isn't that strange? He takes exception to what this man says. If I can... Like, are you kidding me? If I can heal, if I can heal him. And Jesus makes it crystal clear that what this miracle and the healing of this boy depends on is not Jesus' ability. Come on, of course God can heal the child. No, what this miracle depends upon is what? It's the man and it's his faith does he sufficiently believe does he have sufficient faith now again come on what is the question here are we failing as a congregation is is our ministry in this place is it a failure well if it is Surely, to that problem of a lack of prayer, we've got to add something else here. Don't we also have to add the problem of our lack of faith? Isn't that at the root of it all? Isn't it? I mean, yes, we believe that the Christians in here, we we believe, we love Jesus, don't we? And we believe that God is capable of wonderful and great things. Oh, but when we begin to assess that for a moment or two, isn't our sheer lack of faith the great obstacle to our witness and evangelism? Isn't it? Like think about the people you're meeting tomorrow. Like every one of you can think of somebody, somebody who's not a Christian that you are going to have a conversation with tomorrow. Aren't you? You can see that person, a colleague or a friend or somebody at university. You think about that person, okay? Now why isn't it that you and I are sat in here and we know tomorrow? why aren't we absolutely resolved to the fact that we are going to confront that person with the good news of the gospel tomorrow? Why not? Why, why are we not sure that that's what we're going to do? Is it not simply that you and I, we doubt, don't we? And we think about that person and think, wow, that person is staunch in their atheism. And they're staunch in, in what they believe. And we doubt, we doubt that God can, we doubt that God will actually use us and actually change that person's life. Do you see it? Like this man here, you and I as Christians are wrestling with a lack of what? A lack of faith. I tell you what I want you to do. I'd ask you to do this. I'd ask you to consider that in relation to one specific area. And it's the same area as we're dealing with in the text to consider our sheer lack of faith in regards to our children. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a few visitors in the church this morning. um, And I I don't know what brings you to the church and I don't know how much knowledge you might have of the church. We are what you might call a, a reformed church. Um, we are evangelical, we are Presbyterian, but we are a reformed church. What does that mean? Well, amongst many things, it means that we believe that the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis were made to Abraham, but who else? To his offspring. Like, as a reformed church... We believe that God, you could say, has a special place in His heart for the children of believers, the children of the covenant community. Now what does that mean in practice? Will you listen to what it means, please? Who are our children? Well, whether it is biologically the case or not, who are our children? If you're a member here, then all the children of London City Presbyterian Church, they are your children. You hear that? That we all have as members here, we all have spiritual responsibility for all of the children of this congregation. What? Do you see that? Do you see how challenging that is? Like if we assess our attitude to the kids here, what is it? Like are we the first people out the door when the benediction is said? Or are we people who stay and try to get to know the children? And do we ask them about what they're learning in Sunday school? And do we ask them what they're learning from the parents about Jesus? And are we actually praying for these little children of the congregation? Hmm? And I wonder if you see this. I wonder, do you see how that responsibility that we have, how it ties in with this problem we've got here? Because isn't this true? When we consider our own children, and when we consider the children of this congregation, don't we lack faith that they will be saved? Don't we? I mean, we look at our children, and what do we see? I think we see the pressures of this world bearing down on them the pressures of this modern age we see that we see in the children their distinct disinterest in the things of christ don't we we see in our children their sheer bad behavior and what do we think like this man in mark 9 we look at our kids and we see and we think wow don't the forces of darkness have such a grip on our kids? Yes, Jesus can, but will Jesus heal them? Don't you see, we lack faith when it comes to our kids. Friends, if you are in that situation this morning, would you, would you listen to me? Would you listen to these two things? One, would you take heart this morning i mean cause consider mark nine like what happens here here's a man wrestling a faith he's doubting i mean he's just he's, he's just doubting everything about jesus and yet what happens by god's grace what does god do he heals the child take heart but the second thing see in the text what it is that you must do like what does the man do friends Like he's doubting, he's wrestling with a lack of faith. What does he do? He cries out to God. So friend, if it is that you are doubting God's power to change children's lives, would you do this today? Would you do this with me today? Would you call out to God, I believe, but help my Unbelief. As a congregation, friends, we should ask God today for greater faith. Failure. Faith. And then lastly, the force of Jesus' power, the force of Jesus' power hopefully is the case just now that you are following or you know where we are in this wonderful story in mark's gospel so the disciples have failed to heal the boy and then the fathers had that great interaction with jesus what is perhaps a tense interaction with jesus and now at this stage the stage that we're at just now this boy the sun. He is convulsing. He is having a fit. He is convulsing on the ground at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the situation before us. Now, would you consider with me how it is that Jesus heals him? Like the manner in which Jesus heals him. Now, I, 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 I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong about this. But I think at this point here, that Jesus and the disciples and the Father and the Son, that group, are physically separate from the rest of the people. Did you get that sense when, you, when Johnny was reading it? Um, that, that it's as though Jesus has kind of taken the disciples and the Father and the Son, he said, like, come away from the rest of the crowd and the scribes. Now, how can I say that? Well, if you see it in verse 25. That just before Jesus heals the boy, he sort of looks up and it says that he sees the crowd approach. Like he sees the crowd running towards him. So there, there's this sort of physical separation between the two. Okay? And, (laughs) yeah. So that he does not attract undue attention to himself, Jesus heals the boy hurriedly. Don't you love that detail? I love that detail. We think about that detail all week long. Isn't it, be- isn't it brilliant? The fact that Jesus is able to do what the disciples were not able to do, and Jesus can do it in a rush. You see it? Oh, the crowd's running. Oh, I better heal this. But he does it. And he does it quickly. He does it in a rush. Consider the power. I mean, think about it, he's able to heal the child, and how does he do it? How does he exercise the demon? He uses but a word! He just speaks! And look, consider the power, would you? I mean, he is able to command the demon never, ever, ever to return again. To the, to the boy, don't you see, don't you sense the, the epic power of the Lord Jesus Christ? But to bring this into a conclusion, I want to ask you this. See, when you consider the way that the boy is healed, does it not seem very, very familiar to you? The, de- so, the way it's done, the manner that it's done, like, does it not ring all these bells for you? You see where I'm going with this? Are there not great and obvious parallels between this exorcism and the healing of Jairus' daughter? You see what I mean? Do you see the parallels here? There is in Mark chapter 9 to this shadow of death. Isn't there? That like Jairus' little girl, that though this boy is not He does appear to be dead. Like, Believe me when I say to you, the text is is stressing that. He looks like he's dead. He looks like there's no life in him. He looks dead. And, like Jairus' little girl, what happens? This boy, too, is raised. Like the language... In the original, it's all resurrection language. Stress that it's resurrection language. That Jesus <laughs> goes down, he takes the boy by the hand, and he raises him up. Do you see the same method, the same manner as with Jairus' child? Why? <laughs> I mean, like, why the parallels? Why is it again, in a miracle like this, does Jesus enact the miracle with this death and resurrection motif? Why is it the same thing? Why is it death and resurrection again? Friends, isn't it obvious that Jesus Christ here in this miracle is providing a signpost to what must occur? Why was it that our Lord came into this earth? Now, I tell you, it wasn't as a social revolutionary. It wasn't as a moral example. Why did Jesus come into this earth, friends? He came to wrestle and to, to defeat the powers of darkness. And so we are shown in this miracle, or rather Jesus shows his disciples in this miracle, how that victory would be won. Don't you see? That should he finally and ultimately defeat Satan... What must occur? Look at the miracle. What must occur? That he himself, the Lord of glory, the eternal incarnate son of God, what must happen? That he too must die and that he too must rise again. Look at the miracle. See the little boy and see the method of victory for the Christ. Let me let me let me say this. If you're in here this morning and you are not a Christian not only in this miracle are you shown what would happen to Jesus, listen you are shown in this miracle what is on offer to you in the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. I wonder if you see what I mean by that, what is on offer to you? Well, Scripture makes it really clear. The Bible tells us and and spells it out in great detail that like this little boy, all those outside of salvation in Jesus Christ are under the dominion of darkness and Satan. And So I wonder if you see in the miracle what is offered to you today. The Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, he offers to reach down into your life He offers to raise you up. That in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, he simply offers you his hand. That even today, as I'm speaking to you, Almighty God says to you that he will take you from a place of spiritual illness if you will only believe and he will take you to a place of spiritual and perfect health before him. That that is what is in offer in the gospel. So do you see the question? The question is, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And if not, will you not ask God for faith? And then let me do what I've been itching to do. I've been itching to do this since the beginning of this sermon. <laughs> it was the first word of this sermon. Let me answer our question. Is London City Presbyterian Church a failure? Are you a failure? as a christian absolutely not because you see it again don't you who you are before god do you see what you are as a christian before god you are someone who is by that faith that he has given you united to jesus christ and you see now how you stand before god are you a failure You're not because of Christ's work, because of his death and resurrection. What are you? You are today a spiritual success story. That you are, because of Christ, victorious in him. That you stand today, that we all as Christians stand today, triumphant, isn't that wonderful? Triumphant over all of the powers of darkness and all the powers of Satan. Triumphant over all the powers of death. Triumphant over all of the powers of hell. And all because of the gospel, all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, all because of the cross. Isn't it wonderful? What do you see when you look at Mark chapter 9? Don't you see that the Lord Jesus Christ has power over evil? Don't you see that? Don't you see what he has done? He has fought Satan and he has won the battle and he is all for you. And for me, may it be that He, the King of Kings, is praised in the hearts of every single one of us this morning. Let's pray.